meditation this morning is one word, impact. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 6, Paul and Silas were accused of turning the world upside down. That's what I attempted to illustrate by writing impact upside down. I don't know if I got it right or not. Looks pretty, pretty tough. Try writing uh, your girlfriend a letter backwards if you want a challenge. I did that one time. Someone has said, calculated, that in our lifetime, if you live to roughly about the average age of 80, and you live in a big city, you will have encountered in that lifetime 80,000 different people. Now, I don't live in a big city. Nobody here lives in a big city, I don't think. So I thought that sounded a little strong for me. I leaned toward the hermit side anyway. And uh, I think that was calculating three people per year. I mean, three people per day. Three new people per day. Well, I knew I didn't do that, for sure. I'm like, if we got three people, three new people a week. <laughs> so I calculated it out that way, and... Uh, it puts me probably at about 12,500 people that will have impacted my life. And uh, this goes back to our Sunday school lesson too. You talk about people that will impact your life. Probably uh, your marriage partner, for one, other than your parents, is probably the person that is going to impact your life the most. Uh, so think about that. You know, realistically, I thought for myself, a rural farmer... You know, I don't know how close I come to that 12,500 people, but uh, people that have impacted my life. And, uh, you know, where do you think you rank in uh, numbers? Uh, it depends on what your age is, age is at this time. But uh, as you go through life, you live to 80, to think that 80,000 different people. You might say, well, how, what is it, who, you know, what is a number of 80,000? How can we get that? So I calculated out, according to the 2017 census, it would be all the population of Dodge County, all the population of Moore County and all the population of Fillmore County would equal about 80,000 people. So you stop and think about it. On day one, if your parents took you to visit the first person in Dodge County, your closest neighbor, and you kept going and kept going, by the time you were 80, you would have covered the entire county of Dodge and Marr and Fillmore County. Are you using Fillmore County, Clea? Almost. Oh, okay. Uh, I was looking for numbers. I went the other way. And, uh, you know, those numbers took me too high, so I had to kind of selectively uh, pick the counties that uh, gave me my 80,000 number. Well, um, talking about people that impact our lives, I had to... Uh, and the way we impact other people's lives, too, that's, that's the reverse calculation of that. How many people have I impacted their lives? Um, you know, in our Sunday school lesson, we're talking about the, the importance of, you know, the way that a, a poor marriage or a negative marriage, a heathen marriage, impacts their relationship to their God. And uh, so introvert, extrovert makes a difference. How many people your life will uh, encounter? Again, what would be subjective is what is it called an encounter? Is that just simply a, a good morning, hello, a handshake? Uh, 
Is it eye contact? Is that an encounter? So there's a lot of subjection things there, but I thought that was rather fascinating uh, to think how many different people. And as I thought about that, I was thinking about impact. Actually, what got me started thinking about impacting was, um, well, first of all, a little story. We were, our siblings, my siblings and I were all together with our spouses a couple weeks back, and uh, I don't know, we were sitting around the campfire, and then we moved into the living room, we were reminiscing and talking about old times. And one of my older brothers, I was second to the youngest in the family, one of my older brothers told me, he said how that told us as we were sitting there, he said when he brought his girlfriend, his now wife, my sister-in-law, to our place the first time, uh, he said uh, she was disappointed that me and my younger brother didn't offer to take the, the table waste scraps out for my mom. And uh, I don't remember that. My younger brother Jim and I, we both kind of got a little defensive. We said, well, what table scraps? We always ate everything up. And uh, it must have been something you didn't eat. <laughs> and now you're holding that against us for 40 years that we didn't take the scraps out. <laughs> well, we had a good time. Anyway, but uh, talk about having impacts. And, you know, there I was innocent, didn't even remember. But I would do it today if I had the opportunity to take the scraps out. My wife would probably remember that. Uh, talking about what I was thinking, what was generating my thinking, I was thinking about impact, you know, I was thinking about our, our week of meetings coming up this week, Will's Horst. You know, how is he going to impact your life this next week? Um, how many of you know, how many of you do not know Will's at all? Wouldn't know him if he walked in this room. Okay, a few of you. Well, I hope you learn to know him better until the week is over. Uh, that's really probably not the most important thing, uh, but it's what he's going to say and who he's going to talk about is probably the most important thing. And uh, as I thought about Willis, I, I thought about back over the list of our past speakers. Arnie had given me a copy a number of years ago, of course, uh, since the church started of all the speakers. And I went back just a little before that. Uh, when we were meeting at the Bible school yet, there was some that he had not included. I thought of Brother Dan Byler. And as I was thinking about these people, I'm trying to think, is there something that I can remember about these speakers as they were here in our, and influenced my life, impacted my life? Uh, I remember Dan Byler illustrating there at Bible school, and I think some of you, a few of you here remember that. He, I don't even know what the sermon was about, but he was talking about a woman walking on high heels, and he was a little short man, he came prancing around the pulpit, illustrating how, this, how a woman looked walking on high heels, talk, walking on his tiptoes. Again, that's the only thing I remember about him. Val Yoder was another one from Maranatha Bible School. John Koblenz, uh, John Yutze. And then uh, we come here to church in 88, Eli Yoder from Virginia, Edwin Nepp from Mississippi, Edgar Fry, Oliver Hess. Uh, in 92, we did not have uh, speakers. 93, we had Ernest Whitmer. 94, Glenn Schrock. 95, John Risser. 96, was Walter Martin from International Falls. 97 was John Bronk, 98 was Glenn Kilmer, 99 was Dave Berkey, 2000 was William Byler from Idaho, 2001 Louis Graber, 2002 Ray Hoover, 2003 Delmar Troyer, 2004 Arlen Geigley, 2005 Paul Shirk from Mississippi again, 2006 again Arlen Geigley was back because he was take, he was called home kind of a funeral the first time he was here. 2007 was Phil Haynes. 2008, we did not have anything scheduled. 2009 was Nelson Showalter. 2010 was Dale Eby. 2011, Dale Snook. 2012, we had ordination services. Uh, 2013 was Tom Todd. 2014 was Lyndon Hartman. 2015 was Eric Schrock. 2016, Sam Troyer. Uh, 
Last year was Larry Showalter, but that was canceled. And now this year, that brings us to this year, 2018, Willis Horst. And how will his uh, presence in our congregation impact our lives? Well, it it probably depends on, on uh, you know, my preparation. You know, you think of uh, a week of meetings. It can be um, almost overwhelming. It can be tiring. But, uh, again, it's probably how we look at it and how we prepare for it. And... Uh, as I was thinking about uh, impact and the way, uh, again, I, it's not what so much who he is, but who he's portraying. And again, I have confidence that he's going to, we were in their home a number of years back for weekend meetings and stayed with them, so I, I know him fairly well. But uh, it's, you know, as he shares the word of God, I, I think it's, we need to accept it as a message from God. And as I thought about that, I thought how... Uh, my mind went to Jesus and how his ministry impacted the world. And turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 17. Pardon me, John chapter 7. And the phrase that, that got me thinking about how Jesus' earthly ministry impacted his time was in verse 46. The officers that had came to arrest Jesus and bring him back to hold him accountable for what he was teaching in chapter 46, they had this testimony. Now, this, these are the people that were there to arrest him and to take him back to the uh, Pharisees and uh, the council. They said, never man spake like this man. And they, with uh, boldness, told that to their authorities, to their superiors, said, never a man spake like this. Well, I'd like to back up to chapter 7, and the setting that's taking place here is in uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. And the uh, Feast of Tabernacles was a commemorating of God's goodness during their wilderness journey from Egypt. And it also would be combined with the celebration of of the completion of harvest. So it was very likely this time of the year, September, October perhaps. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always right to remember what God has done for us. And so the Feast of Tabernacles was, was at hand. And, uh, I'm not going to read the entire chapter here, but the number of things I want to pick out was, uh, look in verse 11. Uh, you know, Jesus was there among his contemporaries and they, uh, I think all males were required to appear at this Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And uh, they had uh, encouraged Jesus to, to go up to Jerusalem. He declined. But notice in verse 11, uh, verse 10 rather, But when his brethren were gone up, then when he up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. And then verse 11, Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? Uh, where is he? Why were they looking for him? What are you anticipating next week? Are you looking to find Jesus? What was the motive behind these Jews uh, questioning where Jesus was? What are my quests in life? What are my uh, uh, what am I searching for in my relationship with Jesus Christ? Am I searching for a deeper relationship with the Master, a keener sense and understanding of His will for my life? Uh, just a challenging question. As I, I looked at that question they asked, they said, where is he? You can ask yourself that next week as you hear the gospel being preached. Uh, what is in this for me? 
What am I desiring? You could perhaps go back to chapter 6. That may have been some of their motives. Uh, if you go back to chapter 6, Jesus had fed the multitudes with the loaves and the fishes. Perhaps they were hoping for another miracle. Uh, I don't know what that what those fish and loaves tasted like, but I have an idea it was, it was exemplary. It was beyond anything they had ever tasted before, simply because Christ had reproduced it in his miraculous way, and they had partaken of it. Maybe that's what they were hoping for, another, another free handout, another, another meal. Well, we notice in verse 14, we find Jesus finally coming publicly, coming out, exposing himself, It says now, in verse 14, now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And I think that feast is about seven, maybe eight days long. I think the eighth day might have been called something different. But uh, So about the middle of the week, we find Jesus coming into the temple in the midst of them and teaching. Where was he at the other days? Uh, As I thought about that, I I had to ask myself, you uh, you know, he didn't need any time to study, did he? That's an interesting question. Did Jesus need time to prepare and study for what he was going to teach? I don't think so. He knew it all. Uh, he's not like, he's not, doesn't have limited resources like we do. And I do anyway, for sure. And, uh, you know, probably for some of us, studying comes easier. For others, it comes harder. And uh, Jesus, I think the time was right. And he was uh, allowed himself to be... Uh, coming to the temple and taught them. Well, notice the results in verse 15, as he taught them, and the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? And uh, so they were marveled at the things he was sharing, the things he was teaching. It was it was beyond their expectation, because he had never sat under the uh, tutorship of any of their, in quotes, qualified teachers. And here was Jesus teaching them about the things of God. And it says they marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? You know, I think this is what can take place in our hearts and lives, in your experience with the Lord. When you learn to know him personally, when you learn to know Jesus Christ personally, I believe people will marvel at what is happening in your life. God is our source of learning. We we, we can... We can learn so much from God. I don't. Uh, we can learn from others. The mention was made in the Sunday school class about the brotherhood, and that's true. We learn a lot from each other, but above all else, we can learn the most from God and His Holy Spirit as we read and study. Uh, I believe God would like to manifest Himself, reveal Himself to us in that way, uh, so much more than what we maybe give Him opportunity at times. Uh, in my personal experience, again, this I'm talking, I know what my experience is like. You know what your experience is like. How much time do you give God to teach you? How much time do you spend sitting at the feet of Jesus, allowing him to teach you and instruct you in the ways of God? I have so much to learn. And when I think about it in a week, I think, you know, that, you know from that perspective, it is a short time. Uh, from a physical standpoint, it's taxing, it's tearing, families, I know it is. I've been there and still there. But, uh, you know, you have work and you have responsibilities. It can be physically very tiring, but uh, spiritually I believe it's it's something we, we need to do. Notice verse 16 and 17, Jesus tell, after they marveled at it, he had the answer for him. He said, Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but... His that sent me. 
If any man, now notice this, this is a precious verse to me, if any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. So that's, I believe, what we can anticipate next week. If any man will do his will, am I faithfully doing the will of God? If I am faithfully doing God's will, I can know the doctrine. I can understand the truths that are being expounded. It might take me a while to digest them sometimes, uh, to think about them. Sometimes carnality gets in the way. Sometimes our preconceived ideas get in the way. But, you know, in, in reality, if I want to know the will of God, and if I'm confident that I'm, I'm doing God's will in obedience to His will, living in obedience to His will, there is that promise that we can know what we need to know to be in a, a right relationship with God. Jesus said, I speak not of myself. I'd like to pick out verse 24 here in chapter 7. I thought that was interesting verses I, I read through this chapter. He says, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Jesus here is, is talking about, they went back to, uh, as Jesus told them about his teachings, you know, they went back to Moses and uh, Jesus challenged them in verse 19. He said, did not Moses give you the law and yet none of you keepeth the law? <laughs> you know, that was, that was pretty sharp words there. Yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me? And, uh, you know, Jesus very clearly could tell what was in their heart. The hatred, the enmity that was in their hearts toward him. And uh, Jesus answered in verse 21 and said unto them, I have done one work and ye all marvel. And he's probably referring back to chapter 6 where he multiplied the loaves and the fishes. He said, you were impressed by that. I did one work and you were marvel. Moses gave unto you the, he talks about the uh, the idea of circumcision. And he says, um, and then they had also accused Jesus of healing a man on the Sabbath. And uh, Jesus told them, that's when he comes with verse 24. He says, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And uh, I believe knowing Christ gives us the ability to uh, make righteous judgment. Uh, God gives us that discernment as we walk with him, as we endeavor to uh, allow his spirit to direct in our hearts and lives. God gives us the ability to be uh, righteous in our judgment. And that's a challenge, I believe. These uh, the scribes and Pharisees here were making judgment calls on, on Jesus' ministry, and it was not righteous judgment. It was rather uh, biased. And uh, Jesus here is uh, challenging, the, on, challenging them on their distorted judgments. I want to continue down through chapter 7 here, picking out a few more verses. We come to the last day of the great feast, and that's in verse 37. Uh, in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Uh, you know, there is an invitation that Jesus extends to come and partake of the living water that is available to him. I have to think back to the account of John 4, verse 14, where Jesus talked with the Samaritan woman at the well. And uh, Jesus had asked for a drink. And then Jesus went on to expound to her that, you know, the water that he had to offer was a, a, a water that would quench all thirsts. 
And here we find Jesus again offering that invitation to find that well of living water in him. I had to think of the verses in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13 talks about Israel having broken cisterns. You know, the water in cisterns is stagnant enough, but Israel had broken cisterns that didn't even contain water. And if you contrast that picture to a living spring of water, fresh and cool, and uh, that's what Jesus was offering to the people of his day, to come and to drink of his satisfying water. I believe that's the invitation that is extended to us throughout next week. The invitation is to experience a deep, long drink from the well of living water at Jesus' feet. Well, notice in verse 43, as Jesus offered that to them, there were divisions among the people because of him. They disputed whether he was the Messiah, whether he was a prophet. And uh, so there was there was divisions. You know, as we hear the truth expounded, we need to make decisions. And... Uh, Will you be on the side of embracing Christ? Will you be on the side of drinking from that living water? Or, or will you be on the side of rejecting that offer of that Christ gives to us? Which side will I be on? Which side will you be on? And then I already picked out the uh, verse 46. The testimony of the, offer, the officers here who had come to, who were summoned to actually, they were commissioned to come and bring Jesus back in to hold him accountable for what he was teaching. And they gave that powerful testimony. They said, never a man spake like this man. And I'd like to ask you this morning, what is your testimony of Christ? Is your testimony, would your testimony be the same? Never a man spake like this? And uh, as you know Christ, as you listen to him speaking to you in a practical daily way as you read his word say that he here's someone that has never spoken like this I want to continue in the book of John here uh, Nicodemus is brought in at the end of the chapter here and uh, just briefly mentioned but uh, he challenged his peers on on their judgment tactics there in the last part of that chapter after the uh, officers had came back and gave that testimony and uh, I want to commend Nicodemus for uh, for challenging uh, his peers in that way. He said, Doth our law judge any man before he'd hear him and know what he doeth? And, uh, you know, it seems like he was, he was doing what he could in his position, in his place of par, um, in, in to get them to back off the pressure on, on Jesus. And... Uh, Coming into chapter 8, notice in chapter 8, verses, uh, I want to look at verses 1 through 32. Uh, it, Jesus had retired in verse 1 to the Mount of Olives. Not sure why he didn't say to stay in Jerusalem. Maybe he didn't feel comfortable there. I'm not sure. Maybe no one offered him a place to sleep. I don't know. But uh, he went to the Mount of Olives, which is outside of Jerusalem, and you can look down on the city of, of Jerusalem. But notice verse, uh, verse 2, And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and I guess I was impressed with Jesus' uh, uh, persistence in coming back, even though, uh, and again, it, it reaffirms his, his commitment to uh, being about his father's business and, uh, and challenging the, the contemporaries of his day to be what they should be. So we find him early in the morning coming again to the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and he taught them, 
early in the day, early in life, I think we'll be blessed to be at the Master's feet, allowing Him input into my life. Uh, you say, well, I'm not a morning person. I'll give you grace for that if you're not a morning person. If you're a late evening person, find it that time too. But I think we need to find time. And uh, Jesus did it early in the morning here as he sat and taught. And there was evidently a large enough crowd there. And I don't know what they called early, but uh, it was evidently at least light enough that they were collecting together at the temple. And Jesus was willing to sit down and again to teach them. And uh, as he taught them, We notice what takes place here. Jesus again uh, teaching and the scribes and Pharisees again feeling probably somewhat uh, encroached upon by this teacher who had never sat under the teaching of their instruction. Scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, and uh, clearly a trap set up to get Jesus in trouble Number of questions we could ask is why was only one offender brought into their into the midst here to make a judgment call? Uh, be a violent question we could ask. Uh, the other thing would be in verse four. If you look at the Old Testament law back in Deuteronomy, where were the witnesses at? Um, seems in verse 5, you read Deuteronomy uh, 22, it seems like they altered the law just a little bit in what they described here. Uh, not necessarily go into that, but verse 6 clearly was a trap. You know, if he condoned the stoning, he was in trouble with the Romans. Uh, and if he didn't condone the stoning, he was in trouble with, uh, he was guilty for not supporting the law of Moses. Well, Jesus you know, it would appear from, as we look at this, that, uh, uh, you know, so they continued asking him and uh, tempting him. And uh, notice Jesus' response. You know, talk about impacting people's lives. Uh, you know, it says he stooped down and with his finger wrote in the ground as though he hurt them not. And that's always challenged me. I always said I'd like to preach a silent sermon. That was a powerful silent sermon. I haven't figured out how to do it. But uh, Jesus stooped down. What did he write? I don't know. I don't know what he wrote. Uh, scriptures don't tell us. We can only speculate what he perhaps wrote. But, uh, you know, as I thought about this incident, Jesus wasn't caught at all off guard. He knew they were coming before they came. He knew what their hearts were. He knew what their motive was. And uh, their motive was not to bring justice and judgment on this woman. It was rather to get him in trouble, accuse him. You know, um, Jesus also knew, I also thought of this, Jesus knew the woman's heart. He knew what was in her heart. He knew what was taking place. Um, Jesus wasn't stumped. We use that word sometimes. Jesus wasn't stumped. Like we are sometimes. Sometimes we're stumped. We say, we don't know what to do. Jesus, it wasn't that Jesus didn't know what to do. I, I see this example of Jesus stooping down and writing on the ground as an act of mercy. As I thought about, you know, some of our experiences, you know, when, when we think we're stumped, we don't know the answers. Uh, 
You know, some of those questions are very, very difficult questions. We were talking about in the Sunday school lesson. You know, the, the idea of wives and children and separation. How, how do you, in practical way, how does that all work out? Um, well, God doesn't expect us to know everything. That I, I knew because he didn't give us a mental facility to, to assimilate all that. Uh, but God does give us his word. God does give us direction by the Spirit. Um, God gives us a brotherhood. Again, broader counsel. There's things other people don't think about. I mean, other things other people think about that I don't think about. Whether that's, that's still not inclusive of knowing everything that God knows. <laughs> uh, but uh, I believe God will see us through those difficult questions. God has a way for us to know that we can experience peace in our decisions. We may not know everything, but yet I think we need to sometimes make decisions on the things that we know. I know we have to make decisions on the facts that we know. And uh, again, the blessing of God's spirit and the blessing of brotherhood and the blessing of God's word that we can search and to know the answer. Jesus then, after they persistently, in verse 7, continued asking him, he lifted himself up and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. So he, he replied to their, their request somewhat, allowing them permission to do it. And then he again stooped down in verse 8 and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. I believe in verse 10. Verse 10, Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where are thy, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? I think we need to check our motives. I think that's what Jesus was challenging uh, those that were accusing him. I think he's asking that woman. You know, we need to check our motives continually. Why? Am I going to church? Why am I preaching? Why am I teaching Sunday school? Why do I lead the singing? Is it because it's the accepted thing to do? Is it because it's what expected of me? Or is it because I believe it's what God wants me to do? Verse 11 is a very key verse in this experience here. She said, no man, in response to where the accusers are, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Jesus was not condoning her sin, but he did give her a disclaimer there. He said, go and sin no more. Talk about an impact. Uh, if we encounter Jesus, the impact needs to be that we go and sin no more. Verse 12, Jesus continued on. Then, Jesus, then spake Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Is that what you desire this morning, the light of life? How important it is to live in the light of Jesus Christ, in the light of his word. The darkness that is in the world today is, is, is darkness that is, is a blinding. And to think that we can find, follow Christ and experience light in him that we know and can see the way that he wants us to walk and live is a blessing.
a lot of other uh, thoughts continued in there. I'd like to jump down to another impact. So I think of, of, of the impact of, of meeting Christ and, and going and sitting no more, the impact of, of walking in the light. And then down to verse 31 and 32, we have the impact of knowing that we are his disciples. Uh, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed in him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Is that what you're desiring uh, in your life, in your walk with Christ? Are you desiring to walk in the light? Are you desiring to experience uh, freedom by knowing the truth and living the truth? That can, I believe, be our experience. Uh, I believe God has that in store for us next week as we think of uh, the evenings of sharing that uh, the impact that as Willis is the mouthpiece, but again, the Holy Spirit is the uh, facilitator of what is shared of the Word of God and how it impacts your life and my life. And uh, as we think of the blessings that can be the result of that and the way it impacts our lives, may God give us the uh, ability to absorb all the truth that is shared and... Uh, that it may have a product, may have a spiritual productive uh, effect on my life throughout the remaining years of my days, and uh, so pray for Willis and uh, pray for each other that uh, God's will would be done in our lives.